0: What happens if you have a situation where the borrower can be found, but not the car, and the sheriff goes out, whether it's in Georgia or in Florida, the borrower goes out, the sheriff goes out to serve the writ, and the borrower for, refuses to give up the car, refuses to tell the sheriff where the car is. What happens in those situations?
1: I mean, if the borrower refuses to tell the sheriff, there's not a whole lot to- done about him, we can obviously compel him to come back into court and put him in front of a judge and have the judge, you know, make the demand. that he'll be held in the court for failure to, you know, provide the location of, of the vehicle. But you know, lots of times, I mean, this, if they're not going to tell you, they're not going to tell you. There's not a whole lot that can be done. I mean, obviously what we can do is file a suit on the net. Welcome to Banking on Credit Unions your leading law podcast dedicated to credit union matters. Hosted by Jim Sorensen, from the elite team at SVL Law, where they specialize in collections, bankruptcy, and foreclosure law designed for credit unions. From landmark cases to innovative legal strategies, Banking on Credit Unions podcast is here to shine a light on the legal pathways impacting your credit union. If you want to uncover legal insights designed just for you, listen and join the conversation. Let's get started.
0: Well, I want to welcome everyone to the podcast today. My name is Jim Sorensen and I am the host. With me today is Tyler. And Tyler, thank you for joining us on the Banking on Credit Union podcast. We're happy to have you today. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me, Jim.
0: So uh, on this podcast, we talk about all things legal and credit unions. Tyler and I and our firm represent credit unions and Today, we're going to talk about repossessions. We have talked about them before on the podcast, but this is a common issue. And today, we're going to talk about a question we get over and over again, Tyler, and it's one that you've heard numerous times from our clients. And I'll go ahead and pose the question. So the question is, the debtor's hiding our collateral, typically an auto. What do we do to get the car? We can't seem to recover the car. We can't seem to repossess the car. What do we do? I mean, this is a question we hear over and over again, isn't it? Yeah, at least once a week. Yeah. So I want well, to start it off. What right. do we do? How do well, we deal with there that? There
1: are several different things that we can do. I mean, from a legal perspective, I mean, obviously you can hire a PI to go out and look for the vehicle. Some repossession agents will offer that service. And remember that it's got to be peacefully repossessed. Lots of times that doesn't apply if it's behind a locked gate or in a garage. But the second option really is to file what's known as a replevin. A replevin is where basically fully fi- make an allegation. They have to come in and show cause why they don't think the car should be taken. And lots, 98% of the time they don't show up. A writ of replevin is issued. And then the sheriff goes out and attempts to locate the collateral where we have indicated we think it is. This applies if it's behind a log gate. We need to know that because you would have to have like a special break order provision. So that's really, lots of times it won't even be at that location. But what a replevin does allow us to do is now that we have a legal action going, we can pursue not for the liability, but we can set family members for depositions and set Anybody who may or may not have information about the vehicle for a deposition, I've done, you know, I can remember what I did many years ago in Volusia County over in Daytona area where member didn't have the car, didn't know where the car was. It's gone. I came out in the morning, it was gone. And you know what? We set, we filed a replebin. Sheriff went out there, couldn't find the car. So what I did is I set mama, set her mother for a deposition. You know what? Miraculously, the car showed up. And when we set a family member for deposition, we're going to ask them for telephone records. And there's a lot of things that we can ask for in order to try to help us locate A, where the member is, or B, where the collateral is.
0: Let's talk about the Replevin process for a second. Replevins are, as you mentioned, the option in Florida. Rits of possession are the option in Georgia. They're similar. They're similar. But there are differences. So let's talk about a Replevin process in Florida. Is there one particular way about going and getting a Replevin? Kind of walk us through the process of getting the lawsuit started and kind of what are the choices that need to be made early in the case?
1: Sure. There's two types
0: of Replevins
1: in Florida. There's a no notice and there's a notice. A no notice will need to post the bond for twice the value we believe the collateral to be. And that is where... We file a, a complaint for a writ or a plebden. We post the bond. The judge basically issues the um, writ or a plebden. And then if they're able to get the car or I'm just going <laughs> to say car, it could be anything, car, RV, ATV, any personal property. I've done everything, I feel like. I hate RVs. Just so everybody knows that right off out the bat. And if you know me well enough, you've heard me sp- speak about this subject you know that i do not like rvs because they miraculously disappear. but that being said then after the car has been received by the sheriff's if they're able to get it then it's set for a hearing and at that point the defendant can come in and make it out you know show cause why they don't think that the car should actually be sold and in no notice you can't sell the car until you have a further order of the court that allows you that and a notice which is Probably ninety-five percent of the ones that we file are a notice. You file a complaint, you alleg- you put an allegation in there that where you think the car is, why you think we're entitled to it, and then it's set for what's known as an order to show cause hearing, and that's an issue issued by the court. And it's a notice for the defendant to appear at a certain date and time. We serve it on the member, and they will show up or they don't show up. Ninety percent of the time they don't show up, and then. It's a pretty simple <laughs> allegation with the judge. Hey, we have a contract. We have a breach. This is where we think the car is. Um, we submit an order to the um, clerk of court, and the clerk of court issues the writ of replevin. You go out, and it's a very similar process in Georgia, uh, repossession in Georgia.
0: That was going to um, be my next question. What's yes. How does the writ of possession process work in Georgia?
1: Very similar. I mean, you file your... I guess, a motion for a a petition for a writ of possession. And then actually, I don't...
0: There's no hearing.
1: Yeah, there's no hearing in Georgia. So then basically it's entered based upon the facts that we've alleged. And then the sheriff goes out and tends to execute on the writ of possession. So it's a little bit different. It's a little bit easier, but
0: lots of things are a little bit easier in Georgia for the most part. So what common question we get is, You know, it it goes along with what we're talking about here is we don't know where the car is and we don't know where the borrower is. You know, you only have one borrower on the loan, one person on the title. The borrower is the only person on the title and the repo agent, the credit union, has not been able to find the borrower or the car. They no longer live at the address that's on record. They no longer work at the place of employment and the car can't be found anywhere and so they come to us and they say, hey, can we replevin in that situation? What's kind of the answer there?
1: Well, I mean, there's nothing replevin If you don't know where the car is you know, or the borrowers, that's going to be hard to do replevin, Because I mean,
0: we have to have somebody to serve.
1: Right. But we could file. I mean, if it's more of filing the case in order to try to subpoena family members who you believe may have knowledge of where the car is, that's a little bit different. But we certainly, and we would use the last known address of the member, but a little wishy-washy. I think there's probably other ways to go about it. For instance, I mean, just hiring a person, you could hire a PI. Mm -hmm. We've had clients do that, a lot of success. And sometimes, you know, PIs have access to information that, you know, you can't necessarily get.
0: So with the Replevin, and I think this is what's important that everybody know, in this situation where you cannot find the car and you cannot find your borrower, You know, it's possible that we could file the lawsuit, whoever the lawyer is, preferably us, but whoever your lawyer is could file the lawsuit. And then you know, hey, well, we know where this family member is, so we'll subpoena them to appear for a deposition and they'll tell us where the member is. They'll give us information that will lead us to the borrower in the car. And sometimes that happens, sometimes that doesn't. You know, what the credit union needs to understand, obviously, is the cost to file the replevin, just yeah. your court cost, not even attorney's fees is going to be with the filing fee and all the initial stuff. You're talking about five to $600. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got attorney's fees on top of that. So if you go down that road of actually filing the lawsuit, bringing a family member in for a deposition, having them deposed your cost, your legal fees, you're going to be north of $1,500, maybe $2,000. It just depends. Yes. So it's got to be worth it. And, you know, you mentioned, obviously, examples where it has worked. And we both have had examples where it's worked. And we've had examples where it hasn't worked. doesn't work yet. So, you know, to me, this is kind of one of those, you really need to probably talk it through with the lawyer. Is this a situation that seems like a good process or should we go the PI route? There's no guarantees here. Yeah. So it really does depend upon a case-by-case situation. Some of it will depend on how much is the car worth? How big is the debt? How much are you willing to spend to try to recover that debt? Sure. If we're talking about a really old car with not a lot of value, you probably don't want to spend as much. If you're talking about a $100,000 BMW, probably going to spend more to try to find that BMW. But this is the general groundwork. But, you know, these are ways that you can go about finding the car and getting the car. What happens if you have a situation where the borrower can be found, but not the car? And the sheriff goes out, whether it's in Georgia or in Florida, the borrower goes out, the sheriff goes out to serve the writ. And the borrower for, refuses to give up the car, refuses to tell the sheriff where the car is. What happens in those situations?
1: Well, I mean, if the borrower refuses to tell the sheriff, there's not a whole lot to be done about it. We can obviously compel him to come back in the court and put him in front of the judge and have the judge, you know, make a demand that he'll be held in contempt of court for failure to, you know, provide the location of of the vehicle, but lots of times, I mean, if they're not going to tell you, they're not going to tell you. There's not a whole lot that can be done. I mean, obviously what we can do is file suit on the note.
0: Well, can we depose them and ask them for the location of the car? And if they refuse, that's a contemptible charge and they could end up sitting in jail. Yes. Of course, if they're willing to sit in jail and not give up the location of the car, then you're kind of at wit's end. Yes. Sometimes, of course, and this can be frustrating to clients, but sometimes the borrower lies, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if they perjure themselves on the record, that's obviously a situation where we can write the state attorneys or, you know, and ask him to help the person in contempt of court.
0: But we have to prove it, right? So if he says, I don't know where the car is, and he has a believable story, I'm using he as the defendant here, debtor, it could be a she. But if they have a believable story, you know, that can be an issue. I mean, we have we've had this come up now a couple of times recently where our client credit union is trying to recover the car. We go through the Replevin process. The sheriff goes out, looks for the car, especially these are, you know, in Florida and Georgia. They're sometimes a little different. Georgia, they typically will go out, knock on the door right away and ask the defendant, where's the car? In Florida, they don't typically do that. In Florida, usually the sheriff's, most sheriff's departments in my experience, will go out and they'll look for the car at the address we've given And So if they drive out to the borrower's home and it's not there and we have the borrower's work, they'll drive to the borrower's work before you it there. They may do that two or three times and then they usually will contact us and say, hey, I can't find the car. And so usually in those situations, we have to say, we'll go knock on the door and ask the borrower where the car is, make demand. And so in these couple of cases we've had recently, one in Georgia, one in Florida, the sheriff makes demand. that in both situ- situations, the borrower's story is, I thought the credit union repossessed the car. Yeah. It disappeared 30 days ago or 60 days ago or some time period ago. And, and we, don't, we don't know where the story, car is.
1: Like 90% of the time, that is the story.
0: And, and so in those situations, unless we can prove they're lying, then it becomes very hard to obviously hold them in contempt or hold, sure. have them found a perjury. So if they're, if they're good liars, they may be able to get by with it. We, the one situation I have right now in uh, Florida, we're trying to depose the mother because he lives with his mother. I don't believe him. I think he's lying. We'll see, but I don't believe him. I don't believe my client believes him. And so we're trying to depose his mother. Well, he doesn't want his mother deposed. The mother failed to show for the deposition. We've filed a motion of to hold her in contempt or to compel her to appear for deposition. And the debtor has filed a motion in opposition saying, we're just trying to harass his poor mom. She has nothing to do with it. And we're waiting for the judge to rule on that or to hold a hearing on that. You know, I I don't know what's going to happen in that case. I do think the mom probably knows something. I don't think the guy's story is true. He could not give a location. He could not give a date on when the car was repossessed. He's unwilling to file a police report. In the one we had in Georgia, the guy actually had filed a police report. He filed a claim with his insurance company. So he's at least acting consistent with the belief that the car was stolen. Now, again, I don't know if it was or not. I don't know if he's lying or not. But he's taken action that would be consistent with the story, whereas the guy in Florida has not. And so, but these are the frustrating issues that our clients face when they repossess, when they finance cars and the people are willing to not play by the rules, if you will, and try go about hiding the cars. Even if
1: it's not necessarily hidden, if it's behind a locked gate, you have to file a weapon with the bank because the repossession agent has to use peaceful means in order to get the car back so they can't go cut a lock or if you can see it in the garage or you know it's behind the you know it's not unusual to have it behind the debtor's house cover you know with a tarp over it i mean those are situations where if it's behind some sort of thing concealed the repossession agent can not actually go and breach the piece in order to get the vehicle back. So you would have to file a plevin in those
0: cases. And so in getting the lock cut, being able to cut a lock on a gate and go through the gate and get the car with a replevin, is there some additional step in that process? And if so, what's the step? Yeah, we have to make an allegation that we
1: need a break order that it's being concealed behind a gate. Typically what happens, they have to go out, you know, depending on what court you're in and where you're located, a lot of times they'll have to go out and try to serve on the writ. Over clevin first, they'll come back and say it's behind a lock gate or whatever the situation is, and then you have to go back a second time with a break order, you know, with the judge. But we can make those allegations up front and hopefully short circuit the time and effort to do that.
0: But a lot of times it's a two step process. Yeah. At least with most judges, that's what and I found. You alluded
1: to in Georgia, it's a little bit easier because unless you're in one of the big counties in Georgia, it's amazing the sheriff is like God in these counties. You know. Georgia has the second most counties in, in the United States, just behind Texas. So when you drive across Georgia, you've gone through like 60 counties. So all these little counties, the sheriff lots of times knows who you're dealing with. These are not your innocent person who's just one-off. Lots of times they've had experience, in my experience, with some of these individuals. When, when you go to a hearing lots of times in these little counties in Georgia, the sheriff is actually... In the courtroom with the judge, and it's amazing. Yep, how things get done. A little bit different just because of the size of the counties. You know, are so small. So, I'm not talking about Atlanta. Yeah, or Macon or Columbus yeah. or. We're Savannah. talking the
0: smaller, more rural counties. Yeah. So, going back to the break order for a second, because I think this is something that a lot of clients don't understand. So, if we get a break order and the sheriff goes out to enter. The property, let's say, cut through a lock and a chain on a fence. I mean, is is it usually the deputy cutting the lock, or are they? W- what's happening there? A lot of times, they make a arra- you have to.
1: They'll ask you who you want to make arrangements with. For instance, if it's a tow company or if it's a locksmith, they need you have to the, give them the name and they'll coordinate with that individual to go and do what's necessary. For instance, if it's picking the lock on a garage or you know, cutting the chain on her yeah, the deputy's not going to go out there and set it, you know, set a, you know, had your school resource officer out there with, you know, some bolt cutters cutting into it. You have to make arrangements and we're going to have to pay for that. Yeah. So, and again, that's it's the,
0: an expensive remedy,
1: you know, and you need to weigh the cost versus the benefits.
0: Yeah, that, that was my point is a lot of times I don't think the client understands that the credit union is going to have to pay for that. So the credit union's got to make the arrangements, the locksmith. We've got to coordinate. and Of course, our office helps with that, but we've got to coordinate the locksmith being there to cut the fence. We've got to coordinate the deputy being there. And then on top of that, you've got to have your tow service, your repossession agent there, because sheriff deputy doesn't tow it back for you. He is just there to, to serve facilitate. the paperwork and to facilitate and make sure the, you know, the piece isn't breached. Make sure the home, the property owner doesn't come out with a gun and threaten to shoot somebody or they you know, wants to fight the repossession agent or the locksmith. So, and it does apply with garages as well. So it's not just simply cutting a a chain and a lock on a fence. It could be actually picking a lock to get into a locked garage. And we've had numerous of those where we believe the car is in the garage. Sometimes we can see in that some, when I say we, the agent or the deputy has been able to see into the garage through a window and know that. There's a red Honda Accord in there, and we're looking for a red Honda Accord. But sometimes we don't know. We just know there's a garage and they won't open it up, and the car's never being seen. And we believe the car is there. So they go into the garage and behold, the car may be there, it may not. Never ceases to amaze me that someone will literally
1: put it in a garage or sometimes they put it in a storage facility and won't pay for it, but won't tell you where it is. But they don't ever get the benefit of enjoying their vehicle. They just don't want you to ask. (laughs) Yep. Which goes back to, you know, how you deal with your members, you know, make sure you deal with them in a respectful manner. I mean, I understand that sometimes they get all worked up, but you know, you get more with sugar than salt. So you know, a situation where it's, you can't take it personally. And sometimes I'm sure Jim, you've seen this. And I know I've seen it over the years where someone takes it very personally. Yeah. It's almost as if they've taken their bond. Mm-hmm. And I got to remind them, look, this is a business and you need to treat them with respect. Now they don't, may not treat you thing, but you're more likely to get the car or the collateral, personal property, whatever it is. If you don't just come out of, you know, box, just, you know, hotter than, you know, head. So yeah, you know, I mean, that's, yeah, I remember you're trying to figure out, help them assist them in always, you know, any way possible. But ultimately, if you have to get the car, you know, it would be nice if, you know, they're not just doing it to spite you. And because I certainly have seen that, and I know Joni years.
0: Oh, yeah. So let, let's talk about one final issue related to this topic. So, in Florida, is there a way that you can take some sort of action to prevent them from being able to hide the car, or use the car in these types of situations? Is there some sort of administrative process in place? Yes, so you
1: can go through the DMV and fill out the appropriate forms and do a registration. Stop now. You can't prevent
0: them from using it
1: or hiding it, but it will definitely prevent them from legally being able to re-register the vehicle when time comes.
0: So when we say register, we're talking about the ability to renew the tag yeah. and have a valid tag on the vehicle. Yes,
1: it so. may affect you know to a certain extent maybe their insurance and
0: fire registration. So this is one in Florida's. Is- People who are in Florida will know, usually the car's registration month is the month of the primary owner's uh, birthday, their birth month. So if you were to file for a registration stop in October and their birthday is in December, then the car is registered through December. They just would not be able to re-register it in December, which means if they get stopped while they're driving it, first of all, they're going to get a ticket. But normally what's going to happen is the police officer, the law enforcement officer is going to run that tag through the computer system and they're going to say, oh, wait, there's a registration stop on this vehicle. And so a lot of times at that point, the vehicle may be impounded and the credit union is going to get notice of it. So it can be a useful tool in Florida. It's not very expensive. There is a fee, of course, anything you do with DMV, there's a fee. We all know that, right? Surprise. But it's a good tool in Florida that can be real helpful. What about in Georgia? Is there anything like that in Georgia? Yeah. yeah unfortunately, there is not. We get that question all the time. which is kind we, of
1: surprising because Georgia actually is a little bit less debtor friendly. So
0: It is surprising and it's something that I would love to see the Credit Union League Trade Association work on getting in, in Georgia because I think it would be really beneficial to have for our clients. But it doesn't exist yet. So, unfortunately, in Georgia, that that isn't an option. But again, like all these remedies, it does have its limits. I mean, if the people have decided they're going to transfer the car illegally, which usually means they're taking it out of the country and trying to sell it in another country, the registration stop's not going to work. Right. If they're going to have it sold to a chop shop and cut up into pieces and used as parts, that's not going to work. And if they're just being spiteful, yes. which is, hey, I don't care that I can't use it. I'm not going to let the credit union have it because I'm mad at them for whatever reason. Yeah. And that goes back to your point, which is you know, when you're dealing with these borrowers along the way, how you treat them matters. I'm not saying we should give the member everything they want. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to hold them to promises to pay and those types of things. But a lot of times these situations with cars will arise because They feel they haven't been treated fairly, and now they feel justified in hiding the car. And so making sure we're making every effort to treat the member fairly, to be responsive to their needs, it helps. It doesn't eliminate all of them because there's just some people who, no matter what you do, how you treat them, they're going to work the system in their favor. But, you know, again, this is one of those topics that we get a lot of questions on. And hopefully for those of you listening, you found this helpful. We're always here to answer your questions. And if we can ever be of assistance to you, please contact Tyler or I or another lawyer at the firm. And if you find these podcasts helpful and the information we're distributing helpful, please go and give our podcast a like. Again, it's Banking on Credit Unions. It's where we talk about all things credit unions. So Again, Tyler, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And uh, we'll look forward to having you again soon. And we'll talk about some other credit union legal issues. All right? Thanks. Thanks for joining us this week on Banking on Credit Unions. Make sure to visit our website, www.svllaw.com forward podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS. So you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. When it comes to credit union law, the Sorensen Van Leuven Law Firm has you covered. Reach out to us at svllaw.com because every credit union deserves top legal representation. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.